Today's guest, Christine Wachta, is someone that I highly, highly respect, not only because she's a PhD, globally recognized design professor and design entrepreneur, spending time at companies like the geospatial tech firm Esri, um, but Christine and I are very aligned on the idea that we need to bring more humanity into data, into technology, um, and really take a top-down approach to both education and entrepreneurial ecosystem development where we're teaching people how to solve problems in their lived experience, in their natural environment, and create technology and design things that uplift humanity, not design technology that just sucks from us and, and takes, um, takes from humanity and treats us like economic units. And so today we really talked about how Christine takes this approach um, in her university courses and, and the education curriculum that she's developed through GeoEduGaming. And I really think anyone who's interested in technology, futurism, AI, uh, or just learning more about what even is design or geospatial design uh, could, is really going to benefit from this conversation. So with that, I will let Christine take it away. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Ascendance, a podcast about how brands and leaders are unlocking human potential. Uh, today we have Christine Wachta, who is a PhD expert in design, design education, and, and so many other things. I don't even want to try to uh, to take uh, take the responsibility of getting into all your credentials. So maybe I'll let you let you give us a brief intro. Um, here's Christine, if you wouldn't mind telling us, you know, a little bit about who you are um, and why you're so passionate about uh, design and education. Thank you, Will, and thank you so much for this great opportunity. It is really a great pleasure to meet you again here on the podcast, you know, knowing that we have collaborated a little bit. Yes, my name is Christine Bakta, um, and I am from African descent, uh, born in Africa. I have traveled the world and studied in many places. My background is in architecture, and uh, the last seven years I have been doing geospatial and had a PhD in geospatial. And the way my PhD worked, it was really engineered to bring data and science into education and into design education. Um, I have actually since developed and collaborated with uh, many and created some uh, geospatial company uh, that actually boost or bring, you know, um, a, a, how do you say, a manageable way of inserting geoscience into education and life. So one of it is GeoEduGaming, uh, my company that I created a couple of years ago that actually brings, you know, geospatial and science intelligence into education in a way that is fun, in a way that meets the generation, in a way that really actually looks at design and education in a way that is, you know, um, augmenting human experience, unlocking uh, the potential of the kid or the, the new generation to actually do better than we have ever been able to so that's a really intriguing place to start. Tell me a little bit more about what is what is geo geo edu gaming and and how um, how are you using you mentioned using data um, to create better education curriculum and, and such. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. How does that how does geo edu gaming work? So let me um, I need to tell you how geo edu gaming actually originated. Uh, it's not something that I invented. Um, as educator, I have. Taught architecture, or I had taught architecture at university for 
over 14 years and really got to a point where I had this big rock and realizing that what we were teaching the student was not actually accurate. So we were telling stories that were lies. And then we end up having a design that has nothing to do with what we're teaching with the theory. So I stumbled on GIS uh, by, you know, referred by a friend of mine. And when I started looking into a geospatial, I remember very clearly it was a city engine tutorial. And as I started going through it, I realized that this whole set of platform GIS that was nothing into the design or that we knew about was actually doing or showing what we were teaching theoretically that we couldn't actually apply. So it's really, you know, in my head, it was just, a, a, you know, an easy, easy connection. Bringing that tool into education was really what we needed to do because I saw in that, you know, GIS as almost an X-ray, you know, something that actually allows us to predict, to understand before we actually make decision. So bringing it into architecture education where we make decision and we judge before understanding why things are happening really was actually the best the best place to do that. And as soon as I did that, I created an assignment where students were actually empowered and given the opportunity to go out and test things. And through that assignment, looking at how students went on and really took ownership of that application and start pushing the boundaries. So the way they were doing that assignment actually resembled the game. They were actually like in a game and didn't know they were playing it. So that's how GeoEduGaming came about because watching those kids kind of push the boundaries and act like, you know, a game designer into a design where they were actually looking at data, bringing it in and creating, you know, a stories that were actually developing based on existing and that were actually able to tackle the issue that were at hand. So Jewish Gaming actually initiated then to bring science and education with the fun that I saw into my classroom and that's really what Jewish Gaming does. So now I'm developing curriculum for a university and I have actually recently started in interior design, human ecology, mm. where I'm able to actually connect the urban ecology with the human ecology. Because I think that unfortunately, and we could talk about, you know, innovation, AI, all of what we're talking about, but we have actually missed the opportunity to connect the human ecology with urban ecology. The problem that we have is that we have tools that focus so much on the urban. We have tools that could scan, that could actually collect all of the, you know, all of the, 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 the anything that happened, all of the events that are happening. But we have missed the ability to focus on that humanity, you know, and the, uh, the potential that humans have to actually push that boundary further, the potential that humans have to bring differences. What I think data does, or science does, science allows us to actually focus in area based on what that area is and what it means to itself rather than to the world. While the general education has actually created a path that we follow that is based on you know, grading criteria, we have everybody meet a certain limit and that is killing the innovative and the power of individuality and you know and the, the, the you know like the innate power and innovative 
you know, innovative um, capability that we are all born with. So I think that bringing data is really breaking and shifting, and I would say disrupting the status quo, you know, breaking from we have to fit in this category of following one path to our differences are what we need to focus on so that together we could actually learn and get bigger. And that's really where I am. So there's there's a ton in there to unpack. Um, and I, I love your perspective because I don't, I mean, I talk to educators, I, tech, I talk to technologists, but the, the way that you're approaching youth and, and teaching them how to be, you said you're kind of taking a game design approach um, to education. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. So how does that work, whether it's, uh, it's geo fashion or a specific application you mentioned kind of building narratives around, is, is it around like their local communities? Um, how, how does that practically work? Like when you're working with kids, um, and, and talk a little bit more about that game design approach. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to tell you, and I, I don't think that this is not a, a, a real new concept, even though its application is totally new. We've heard about this society that is talking about bottom up, you know, and where people are actually developing things. But I think that those are really superficial in what we're talking about bottom up. I have realized that and being an educator for so long, it's really hit me one day that uh, after teaching for, let's say, five or seven years, I realized that not my best student were the one making making it out there. It was the worst student who sometimes made it and were actually leading the world. And at that point, I had this question. I asked myself, how have I missed this opportunity? So I'm thinking that, you know, maybe when that student was in my class, it could have been that I didn't, I was not able to catch that 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 star in them right or it might be that he was going through something totally different at that point i realized that we cannot judge if we haven't given opportunity that we cannot just count people out and that everybody's star might not shine the day you see them but it might be shining everywhere else so that's when i realized that really it's not really about seeing who is doing well it's about understanding how people are doing because if we don't meet them where they are the best, we will lose them. And I realized mm. that in my class, I didn't meet that light for that student. So changing my whole way of teaching where I didn't come there as giving you the information, I came and said, this is the information. You tell me how we do it. What are the problems? And those students start finding out things that I didn't know. And this comes from where they come from, what they have been exposed to, what they have seen that I have never seen. And what they did, in fact, is they brought all of that knowledge into the classroom. And we now have this, this collective intelligence that I could never have brought together, you know, that I could never have made. And that collective intelligence was really something that everybody actually grabbed on and augmented and shared back. So really, the classroom has become, I mean, become at that point for me, this type of knowledge good. I don't know if you, you know, so because the good is something that we actually, you know, need, you know, but it's a good that the more we use, the more value it takes. So it's really goes to the opposite of what we know about life, right? 
So what is that type of good that you use and it keep building up? It's because we have come to this area of shareable content where everybody is able to actually, you know, um, embrace who they are different from you and I and bring it out so that you can augment yourself based on that knowledge. And that's really how my class, like Geo Fashion, and now I'm developing a Geo, uh, geo Information Lab in the urban design over there, where I'm having every every student basically set their, their own role. And of course, it's not easy because I think that we have a generation of students who are so smart, but who have been spoon-fed so long that they ask you for a list. What do you need? Like yesterday, I had this conversation with a student where you say, what is the list? I said, there's no list. You make the list. But what do I say? I don't know. I'm not expecting anything. You show me what you can do. I want to push you where you can do. I don't want you to do what I can do because I only know this month, you know? So when you actually allow those kids to when you give them the tool and say you are in charge they blow your mind away. and that's really what we need to do it is not a you know a curriculum that says from a to z and you have to do this regarding grading criteria i think that grading criteria is really i'm totally against grading criteria i don't do those because i think that it's another way of punishment how could you grade grade you know if you don't actually have anything that is black or white you're saying you know right. well i understand need it has to be one to three and it could not be four what is between one to three there's three and a half i mean you could you are actually shutting down a lot of opportunity for that child to evolve and maybe that's where they find themselves so to me i have stopped calling myself a professor i'm a facilitator so i facilitate this knowledge, this shareable knowledge, I guide them, I allow them, I use my knowledge to actually push those skills out and allow them to be whoever they want to be, who they could be. And I think that that's how, that's the difference between, you know, education as I knew it and education as I'm bringing it. And actually, mm. the thing that I do in my geo fashion and geo design, I say, bring anything that you need, any tool that you know that has nothing to do with what you're doing. And what emerged from that is just fantastic. It's phenomenal. Because what you're doing, you're actually empowering the child. You're telling them they matter. You're telling them whatever come out of them, it's possibly an idea that could actually grow into innovation. And they take it on and they push it. You have to actually hold them because they get so excited, you know. And I have found that so uh, satisfying for me and, you know, has made me step down from this professorship that made me want to give answer to everything to saying, I don't know, find out and let's figure it out. So it's really actually has allowed me to become human and mm. understand that we all are people that evolve from each other experience and that this whole world is really a big puzzle and we cannot focus on the larger puzzle when we forget the tiniest one because if that tiniest one fell that big one will be ill and will not function right so so i there's so many thoughts that are, are sparking from that um i first off I think it's important maybe to explain the concept of top down versus bottom up learning, which I think you mentioned. And for me, just to kind of map this back to to some of, of my story and why I even started this podcast, 
Um, when I, when I was in school, I was not, I'm an entrepreneur now. I've been an entrepreneur for three and a half years. I, I've built five plus brands. I have a, a nonprofit that's partnered with the university of Minnesota, a media company that's worked with live nation. Um, I've been able to do all that in, in three years. When I was in school, um, I was, I was depressed. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't a comp. I mean, you know, I wasn't a bad student, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't solving problems and it, and it wasn't until that I wasn't until I really broke out of that box to your point of like, here's the list of requirements. We want you to build this or do this or fulfill this assignment. Um, and just started looking around in the world around me and saying, you know, how do I, how do I solve a problem? How do I create something new? Um, you know, and, and figure out what that means. Cause I, we don't even, there's no requirements. There's no parameters for like, when you're an entrepreneur, you're going to see something that no one else has seen before and then create your own parameters around what the problem is and how to solve it. Right. And so if you're only thinking in boxes, you're only thinking about here's, here's the problem, here's the answer and, and the professor or someone has the answer. Right. Um, you know, sometimes the, the questions are far more important than the answers. Yes. Um, and so you, you talked about a little bit about kind of that collective consciousness of, um, you know, how human understanding and information ecology is, is developing. I think that's, I, I'd love to talk a little bit more about, you know, how you're seeing that. Cause I've, I've heard this concept called, uh, decentralized collective intelligence, just mm -hmm. like the way that, cause you mentioned content and how we're all, we're all producing content. We're all mm -hmm. kind of self-actualizing on the internet or, or not, or mm -hmm. retreating farther into our bubbles. Mm -hmm. Um, but the way that we even, you know, solve problems and, and pick up information is, is different now. Right. Because like, we don't, it's not like we have to have all these keepers of the information to go to the libraries and the textbooks to tell us what to look at. I mean, everything's out there. Right. So it's, we should we should bring it all together and see what comes out of it. Yes, yes, and and I think that you know that also has you know that has actually opened a whole new realm you know for, and open it for everybody because I think that we have a generation today that is so afraid to fail you know and mm. the very first question that I do when I get into my class I tell them I want you to fail. And I give them a quiz where they all fail because they're so frightened that they wouldn't try. And I think that this letting you in the wild of yourself allow you to actually mess up, mess up so bad you cannot mess up. I think that, you know, if we all kind of exercise this failure where we fail so much that the failure become like that solid foundation, we are fearless. We are up there to win, and we will win big, you know. And I think that uh, being able to try to realize that, and it really brings us down to being human, accepting that we cannot do it right the first time. We might not do it right the second or the tenth time, but the day we do it right, it will be the right. It will be one right, and that right will basically kind of outweigh all of the wrong that we've been able to, that we've done. But then we become stronger because we have learned so much, you know. And I think that that's the resilience of humanity, you know. And when we break that resilience in the classroom where we actually set those grades, where a student asks you, oh, if I'm late, are you how many points are you going to remove? Those are questions that basically break my heart because I'm like, we have actually allocated people to this system of gratification 
that they need that gratification. They need to know how much they're going to miss of this candy if they do this. I said, be yourself. Does it matter? You know, so if we actually start removing that system and allowing people to actually embrace their failure, we'll have stronger humanity. You know, we have a humanity that is actually more compassionate because if we understand that we fail, then we're going to be more compassionate about the failure of order and we're going to be more understanding about that. So I think that that's really where that collective intelligence comes from because it's come from an ability to actually assume yourself as no God and realize that alone, all you know is what you know and that when you share it out there, somebody else will add something to it and pick something else that will make them better and whatever they give you will make you even better that really actually really makes it so easy and make the relation so easy because then in that collectiveness and i have seen that in my classroom we now have people who are freely speaking who are actually just saying how it is and how they think about it and realizing that you know whatever they say could be picked up and actually you know clean up or augmented for something else and they could mm -hmm. actually gain from that as well so that allow me to realize that whatever i'm getting out come back to me with interest why wouldn't i go and take it out you know so it's really you know this this environment where i know that i'm going in it because things that i have in my head that i cannot yet formalize could be actually formalized by somebody else and get me an opportunity to shine with my idea and there's no you know we, we actually moving away from this oh that's my idea iconic idea no it's just that i'm part of this bigger picture and my idea generated something and we basically allowing people to actually love each other and love them for what they have that we don't have because what they have that we don't have will be maybe the, something that will unlock us to become who we always were supposed to become. I think that that's really just, you know, um, summarize it all. And I think, you know, that perspective is very, it's, it's very spiritual and, it, and it's like none of the, those ideas are new, but again, like the way you're applying them are new, but the sense of um, there's a saying, you know, people, people don't have ideas, ideas have people, right? <laughs> right. Uh, we get so I think we get so caught up in like, this scarcity mentality of like, I got to own my ideas, I got to own my IP, I got to own my, uh, my stuff. And, and then I got to get the results I want in the game, the system that I'm playing and, you know, the educational system or the mm -hmm. business system. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very egocentric, and it prevents it, it limits a lot of human potential, because like, to your point, you can't, you can't build off of each other's ideas and build off, you know, build an ecosystem where, you know, I might understand a mathematical concept and you might understand like fashion and design and have a very different brain. Oh, yeah. um, but if, if we're not able to collaborate, there's no system that, you know, in the boxes of, of the math class and the art class, um, there's not an opportunity for collaboration there. But in, a, in an ecology, uh, in an ecosystem where you're just trying to uh, solve problems mm -hmm. and it's top down, it doesn't matter how you get to the solutions. And there actually is no parameters for the solutions. You're just creating. Um, then then you can kind of let 
you know, whatever it is that's, that is authentic to you flow through you and contribute to the greater mm-hmm. uh, ecology, the greater ecosystem, whether that's, you know, improving your city, whether that's uplifting your community, whether that's social reform, um, instead of just trying to, to tweak the levers of an old system, you just fundamentally reimagine it together. And I think that's, that's beautiful. And I also think, um, you know, what you're doing is really important because that has to be done in community. It can't be done alone. It can't be. And I think people, people intuitively, they want, they want to behave with an abundance mindset. They want to, they want to support each other. We want to have compassion. We want to lift each other up. That's in all of us. Um, but the problem with education in my, in my experience, and I'd love to hear your perspective, the problem with education and, you know, the business world to some extent is that it's very isolating. It wants to put us in individual boxes, Mm -hmm. define our worth as an economic unit. Um, and so that, that I think that, limited my potential for sure until i and i'm still kind of breaking out of that it's it's taking years um what do you what do you think about that just that sense of isolation and i think that that's the, you know the, i think that's the, the the hijacking society that i call you know I, it's what i call the society has hijacked us because in fact you know uh if you think about this that idea and you know this idea that people are going to steal your idea that sits in you and never grow you know while if you put that idea out it could be like a tree the tree might be in your yard but it doesn't belong to you you know and see it grow so at least you know you are part of that tree it doesn't like this sense of belonging where we want to have everything and just take it to ourselves at the end of the day you know we're gonna die and leave it right there you know so and i think that we have basically waste so much time and so much you know uh ingenuity and dying with those think about all of those people who had the greatest idea who died and never got it out you know mm-hmm. so that's really a loss for a society that could have actually benefit from it you know uh I, I have to you know remind myself of this you know sentence that my my great friend that you know colton zakaria told me uh, when i came up with this great idea of geo gaming and the idea was just popping and i was just having all of those moments and when i talked to him he said i said oh maybe we need a patent he said listen you are the patent it's in your mind nobody can do it better than you and that's what it is you know what you're saying that you know our idea if somebody takes it they're going to do it differently so they're going to actually evolve it in a way that could actually inform us our own ideas so that it could be even better because we are the patent of our own idea because only us can do it the way we see it if our idea is able to actually be replicated exactly the same way as we did it it's meant that our dna has been transferred you know it's really how do you see those things and i think that you know just like you education and even the world you know the way we live has to actually break from this polarizing one person who actually control everybody else. So in the work environment, if our work environment allowed us to actually be able to be recognized and to get, you know, how do you say, to get like, uh, you know, award or to be rewarded for what we bring in, people will do a lot more because they're going to be part of it. Guess what? Mm-hmm. To work, they leave work, they don't want to talk about work. So they're basically slaving out for the money and they get that money and they don't want to do anything and they will do the bare minimum you know 
to do it. And that's really what I'm thinking. When my student asks me how many drawings, it's just like I'm asking for the bare minimum so that I could give you what you want to pass this, this look, you know. And how do you enjoy your life if you're not enjoying what you're doing? It's about the enjoyment. It could take one, it could take 15, it doesn't matter. It's how much have you be involved in it and how much do you think you are part of it? But I think that, you know, doing what you did, like breaking out of that system, it's something that takes a lot of courage, right? Because a lot of because you have a society that look at you for where are you going to school, what are you doing? And if you're on your own, it's just like so what are you so where did so it, it, it's really this reshifting the way in way we the way in which we think, you know, and basically breaking those barriers and recognizing people in their location, in their ability and in their passion and what they know how to do, you know. And um one of one of the things that that could actually allow us to do it will allow us to actually uh be in you know be in contact with our own inner self because i really mm. i have to tell you that a lot of us wake up and do the job and they don't even they are so outside of themselves that they haven't checked who they are inside because especially if, with technology with so much technology in our lives if you check in and ask what am i really well here or am i here because i have to be the because i have to be will be will, will take over am i happy we live a life of unhappiness we are going into work and stressing out and making our body you know kill us and then we paying for our house and by the time we don't pay for it we die because we put so much stress on our body and we haven't enjoyed the time you know how many times have i seen my colleague work so hard for so many years and when they retire boom they die and they have no life you know so we need to take ownership of what we do we need to actually be in but we need a society that should actually shift and change and i'm hoping that in you know bringing it into this education system where it's become a healer we need to heal our system we need to heal ourselves we need to actually use education as a therapeutic you know uh, approach to actually understanding us to actually excel and have fun and be able to participate next you know and i think that is that healing that care of self that will actually allow us to bring out the best of ourselves because if we have a sick society we will be will be producing sick results 100% yeah 100% agree and that's i mean for for me um yoga has been yoga and meditation have been my my path to kind of get out of um you know some i have a data analytics degree and, and a tech background and spend so much time on technology i i realized like until i until i started meditating and really practicing yoga on a consistent basis um i didn't realize how lost in in that image of myself that i i was and it just keeps getting reinforced by social media and mm -hmm. and all of the digital worlds that we're interacting with um and so yeah that you, if we can't if we can't heal um you know those those patterns or those traumas that we're just continuing to mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. act on um then then yeah we can't really break out of that system exactly and i think that healing the, the you know the healing solution to me is that geospatial platform at least in the design or in the area that I am in, because of the intelligence, because of the 
the, you know, the fact that we have all of those data sitting around. We collect data today more than we know what to do with. And yet we have those system of education, I'm talking in architecture, urban design, where we're not even using it, where we're not touching it. I have find that, you know, when I when you use data, you could actually end up, you could actually do an hour work and it's going to actually produce 10 hours for somebody who is not using it. So, and I think that the same happened with, you know, the company. If company want, and I think if company want, I think this is really kind of, and I might get in trouble for saying this, but I think that this is actually, you know, engineer, you know, slavery where we stretch the time where people stay at work so long that when they get home, they're so tired, they don't have time to think of themselves. And what you do, all you do is go and work. We have efficient way with technology where we could shorten that period so that people could take more time with nature and reconnect with nature. We spend, I, I cannot have work in offices where half of the day we do nothing but sit around, you know? Why mm -hmm. do we be inside of the building and basically be stressed out and talk about things that make no sense instead of making the right decision? Well, it's because in fact, if people start thinking and get out in nature, they must start being actually um, able to think on their own and develop other things and maybe shift away, you know? It is possible. Are we gonna do it? I think that the, the choice is ours. It's ours to actually either push those things in so that we could actually be more efficient in doing what we do and get back to nature. Because I really think that technology, and this is one thing that we people misunderstand, the misconception of technology is that technology is so out there that you are not in touch with nature. That is totally wrong. Technology is there to augment human ability to connect with nature. It's mm -hmm. not to separate us, but if we're using it wrong, like we've been using, we are basically running away and now trying to pick up some other, you know, ads up to connect back to nature. We are nature. We were it, you know, and we need to just make sure that technology is geared toward doing what we need to do. And in the work environment, it will be how do we use technology to lessen the stress, to make sure that people are in a better environment, to make sure that we understand how they feel so that we can reshuffle things and they could spend more time here and more less time here and more time in nature and with their family. And that is all possible. Why have we not done that? Well, because it's serving some purpose and nobody's realizing. So I think we're running ourselves very thin. I, I agree. And I think and that's one of the reasons why Web3 is really exciting to me, because uh, to, you, to your point, when you have a system that it, it only understands people as human capital, right, economic units, um, where that definition basically means that we have to put them in a in a box for eight hours so we can pay them something for an output um in instead of you know like you're saying why don't we we have all this technology why are we working more why are we more stressed right we have more production capacity more wealth in the world than ever before and we're working more and we're stressed more and we're less creative that doesn't that doesn't doesn't really add up um but we we still are in this old paradigm of like factories and yes. and this old industrial paradigm and i think we can't we can't apply that old industrial 
paradigm of I go to the factory for eight hours and produce, you know, shirts and, and clothing or, or cars or whatever it is, like humans aren't doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they are in, in some countries, um, but in, in the developed, in the developed world and, and hopefully, you know, very soon, no one will have to do that. So, um, so we can't apply that old industrial paradigm to, to knowledge work and to creative work, which is what all, you know, tech companies and um, all the, you know, most of the most valuable companies in the world are producing, they're producing knowledge, they're producing digital IP, they're producing software and creative solutions. And then you're treating your employees like old industry yes. factory workers. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, we have seen a lot of example and I'm hoping that, you know, what, we have actually witnessed in the last two years with the COVID-19. I mean, how could a society that is so highly technologically powerful be shut down when we have the tool to actually be able to understand? This is a way that, I mean, this has blown my mind away because if we have the, it's not that we didn't have the tool. It's not that we didn't understand how we could do that. It's that we have misused technology. It's that we have used technology as, as an add-on, not as part of what it should be doing. It's that we have actually had our focus in the wrong place. We had tool to actually be able to lessen everything, but we didn't have them in the right place. And we still today, not even there because we're still shuffling, wondering how do we actually do that? Because we're so stuck in this idea that we, we were actually normal. What was normal? We were actually off normal. That's what happened with COVID. And still today, we haven't even aligned the things the way they should be aligned. It's the misuse of technology. I think that there are two issues. It's either we have we have actually boost technology to a level that is actually above our head and we cannot control it. Or we are basically just, you know, like following technology because we think technology will do everything. So we have, we try to replace technology with, you know, with human and we can never do that, you know. So we need to figure out and realize that if human create technology, they should make it so that technology serve humanity, not the opposite. Right now, technology has us on a leash and we've been pulled by technology. And I think that it should flip, it should be flipped over. Yeah, and I, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and where I see potentially some case for optimism in, in the Web3 space is that at least, you know, it's it's not perfect, but at least in, in some of the communities that are developing, um, like they're, they're starting to get away from some of those old, games right and mm -hmm. and um and it, it's not that humans aren't resilient it's not that nature you know to your you bring up nature and, and bringing us back to nature and learning from and designing with nature your um your your co former colleague tom fisher i interviewed him on the podcast um a, a couple months ago and he he was talking about how we need to design in harmony with nature and, and not uh try to fight nature because we're never it's it's so prideful for humans to say like we're, we're just going to control everything we're going to control nature instead of trying to learn from it and, and learn how to live in harmony with it and i think that's why you know we're seeing all these autoimmune diseases we're seeing all these all these you know stress induced chronic conditions and and these health outcomes that are uh, i think in a lot of ways a product of our fight against 
fight oh, against nature, fight to control everything. And I think that's you're absolutely right. And I, you know, I always, I can never, you know, finish any talk without reminding, you know, people of my grandmother, you know, uh, in Africa, who, whom I live with, you know. So when I discovered this GIS technology, the first thing that came in mind, and, and you know, it wasn't even that, it's just that I live a life in Africa that was a life of the farm, going to the farm, seeing people using the nature, loving the land, right? And they understood that land and they walk with the land, you know, a place where you have, you know, you have 110 degree and water is always like, fresh and very very cold like it's coming out of the fridge because they understood how to you know store the water so that you could always have a fresh water because they work with that nature and they understood it very well so when i start looking at gs and data i look at some of the practice the predictive analysis those are things that my grandmother did we might not have called it geodesign but it was called being part of nature and living with nature now we're calling it geodesign we're calling it sustainability call it what you want it was there at the beginning so the only thing that my grandmother didn't have was this prediction in understanding how the soil is so that they could she could plant 500 and get 2000 in the you know in her own life she might have planted a thousand and get 500 because she didn't understand the soil suitability that's how technology should help humans it should help us understand what we cannot by ourselves understand to be more productive to do less work so that we could produce but we were already part of nature and that should stay and technology should actually allow us to make sure that we maximize our gain and we limit our work that's where we should and we are that smart and we can do that but if we start basically getting distracted by what technology shouldn't be doing then we're going to really be you know kind of killing nature and nature doesn't play we cannot beat nature nature will beat us right back you know mm -hmm. it's a fight that we could even handle you know it's something that we should actually be careful about because if i build my land if I build my house on the land that slide, guess what? It's going to slide. Nature will come and say, well, you didn't listen to me. And that's what's happening. So I think that everything that we do, and that's what I say, you know, when we start thinking about designing and controlling that nature, let's realize that nature cannot be controlled because we could, we could have anything. We could build everything that we want. At the end of the day, if we have a flood, it's gone because we have not make sure that we understood how to do those things nature cannot nature was there before us and that's that is the idea that i don't understand many many million years ago there was nature and then we got there and we want to control it i mean it makes no sense you know it makes absolutely yeah. no sense. and and i think that to our earlier point in our conversation that kind of goes back to this just egocentric view of the world that we've we've created and cultivated in in our modern society and, and you talk about um you talked about how when covid 19 hit like our our whole society was shut down which is which is crazy for a society that's so again technologically powerful and capable mm -hmm. um but i think it's part of it is the fragility is is a reflection of the fragility of of our of our ego and the games that we're playing right because we're again we're afraid to fail we're taught in education you know we have to fit in this fit in this box fit in this system when you're when you're on your own you got to be working for a company or doing something that 
um, that proves that you're worth something, right? And so yes. we're we're yes. so we're so focused on playing the game, we forget to be human, well, and yeah. then and then it limits us from being able to again live and reconnect with our in ourselves, reconnect with nature, mm-hmm. um, and design and create from. If we design and create from that place where we're we're connected with ourselves, we're connected to nature, mm-hmm. uh, we're we're thinking abundantly, we're we're becoming more anti-fragile, resilient than the systems we develop in the world around us, um, the art, the business, and, you know, everything, the technology as well um, is going to reflect that oh, instead, yeah. instead of we take fragile, we take these fragile paradigms and, and we serve technology because we think we have to, we have to serve it. And, yes. um, and then that becomes replicated everywhere in the world around us. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I think that, you know, we, the more, we we wait the the time has the time ran out long time ago mm-hmm. we are trying to play we should play catch up because the time has run out one of the things that keep bugging me so much is we see the prediction of the population growth right it's gonna happen right and we are today talking about those you know the people that have been forgotten the discrimination the division the spatial divide and all of this Think about when that population double. What's going to happen? It's going to be double the time, those things. So we can be actually breaking even harsher, you know, in those things if we haven't figured those out, you know, because all of those differences, all of those spatial segregation will actually be even more. And they will bring some other one that we haven't even thought about. And where yep. are we heading? We are heading to a big disaster. And that's scary you know to me that is totally scary because we are so focused on what we can do and what we see but we're not seeing what we don't see that actually is underneath that covid has actually allowed us to actually see but so far i think that during covid there was a hope for me that oh things are going to change now that it has, it has revealed some some hidden you know weaknesses but it seems like we close that door and we're just doing business as usual. And that's, you know, that's why a company like you, that's why educators like me need to really push this idea, you know, this disruptive idea into the system so that, you know, it could actually break that statu quo, you know. I'm doing it at Georgia Southern, you're doing it with the university. I'm hoping that at some point we could actually grow more people like you and I to really kind of flip this over. It's just like really taking out a regime, you know, just like taking it out because there's no other way to do it. We cannot fix it. We cannot make it work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I I don't think I've told you this yet, but we, with Smart North, with my nonprofit, we have have a tech hub. We're calling it a future hub, um, mm-hmm. three blocks outside of George Floyd Square here mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, in, in South Minneapolis, and one of the most under-resourced neighborhoods there. And we're we're about to start doing AR, VR, design, yeah. programming, cybersecurity, robotics, um, that's- fashion, and music. So that's, I mean, uh, and I know you're you're already doing, you know, your programming, your work in in mm-hmm. universities and communities around the world so i i'm sure there's and again like i i want all these connections to be to be actionable and um so i'd I'd love to you know after after this podcast let's let's reconnect and let's get your programs into into our tech hub and 
And because I think, um, I think the youth, you know, focusing on the youth is, yes. is probably the most effective way to create yes. long-term change because it's not, we can't, I don't think we can fight the old system. It's not about going to war with it. it it's mm -hmm. just about creating something that is so much better that when a new generation of leaders rises up, the old system just looks and feels and becomes obsolete. Yeah. And, and I'm really, I'm really happy that you mentioned that because in my class today, I mean, I have a class that I'm teaching uh, is called the human center design. Uh, I just won an award to actually develop that class into a hub. And what the students have to do, I think that we might need to connect for next semester. The students have to find 10 people and interview them and develop an application that they will use in their neighborhood to collect those feelings. And I think that that will be something that I would like to do with the youth in that neighborhood, you know. Uh, and they, my student will have a specific group to talk to and develop those apps for them. And I think that could be great because um, I just came back from Italy where I was uh, heading one of the mini session in an urban uh, design, in one of the international urban design conference. And I have actually uh, promised them to create a human ecology session for next year. So I think that I'm, I'm trying to develop those things and I hope that I could have my student next semester develop this project with the smart knot so that we could present it at the conference in Italy next year. Because I think that what this will do, it's really talking about human ecology into the urban ecology. And if we could tap into the smart knot, Minneapolis, we, the student and I, we travel to Italy and we tap into that and do another way. We could actually start looking at how people are living and mix and create something totally amazing. I'll be up for that. Yeah, that's that sounds incredible. Let's let's definitely let's definitely set that up. Um, I'd, I'd love to would love to get some of the kids out to Italy, too. And yes. present. I mean, that's those connections, I think, are what's what's really really special and really kind of mind opening um especially for for youth when yes. and which are really the point of all this so. and, and that would be really amazing to actually get some of the youth to italy because uh at the conference uh, i have asked them and they have agreed to bring student and other and the younger generation so if we could have like every year i'm going there every year because i'm creating this session and in fact i'm the one accepting the the, the, the proposal so i think that it would be good to set something where those youth could at least one of them go to Italy for one week and just experience and present their work at their level. You know, I think that would be totally incredible. Love it. So one, we're, we're almost running up on time here, but I wanted to ask you one more question around um, around geospatial and, and geo design. So uh, just just so people so people understand um, what what is geo what does geospatial mean and I know it's you know mapping and um, looking at kind of our our local environments and stuff but what is what is geospatial what is geo design and why is it so important um, to to look at geospatial technology and architecture and stuff because I don't think a lot of people are thinking about that yes yes so I think that you know geospatial it's really you know I call it what is seen mostly what is not seen you know uh design is basically making something you know take form right 
if you want to do a design, you need to actually apply geospatial analysis, which means that, for example, if I decided I want to do a restaurant next door to my house, right? Well, because I have the money, what we do usually is that because I have the money, I'll put it together, you know, I'll build that restaurant. Well, the problem is that not only can I be building that on a soil that is actually messed up or that cannot hold that much, you know, that much structure, or I could actually have put a restaurant in an area where people don't need that type of restaurant. So before doing that, we need to do a, an analysis of the community, understanding the space, you know, the environment, the geography, you know, like what we're bringing into design there are the material that will actually be sustained or be sustainable for that area. For instance, you know, one of the things that we do is showing off, you know, new material coming from all over the place. Well, the world is designed, I mean, God created this world perfectly so that if something grows here, it will die here and it will actually disseminate and do something else so that it could create so, you know, so that the, the land could be fine. The problem now becomes geodesign has allowed us. What is geodesign? Geodesign is the ability to think about how you could make something work in a way that works with the environment and the people. And that doesn't actually, um, how do you say, uh, lessen the power of the environment to be what the environment is. Geodesign is designing to augment the capacity, the capability of human and the environment. So when, for example, I decide to ship, let's say, wood from China to Georgia, I have to think about the temperature in Georgia, the fact that the, the type of material that I'm going to put in it, within that temperature, will it actually start releasing gas that is bad for the environment or bad for the people? Because different locations act differently with the material that we're creating. So thinking geo in a way that is geodesign is how do I bring this material and what do I put on it so that that location doesn't cause it to become a bad thing for environment because we live a life where we inhale so many gases and we die from cancer this and that we don't know where that came from right it's because we have this idea of showing off and getting something from china from india not realizing where we're bringing it right if you bring something plastic that comes from a place that is colder to a place that get 120 degrees it's going to melt and the melting is not just losing the material, that's materiality and that's nothing. But the problem is what gas is it actually releasing and how is it gonna affect the people there? And how is it gonna affect the environment if it wasn't created there and you don't have the mechanism to actually deteriorate it? It's gonna be affecting not only the environment, but the people. And geodesign really actually look at all of that. It's even, you know, my grandmother did geodesign anyway. You know, when she traveled from the little place to come visit us just looking at she brought eggs that were actually still in the ba basket when she got there because she wrapped it around that's geodesign understanding that i'm going to be on those roads that bounce and realizing that i need to actually take care of it in ways that it get there in a great shape that's geodesign so we are basically born as you know we are all born you know a geo designer we are born so smart that we could do all of those things but then we get into this life of being told what to do that we forget what mm. life is about. So I think that it's really that when we start this formal education, we get hijacked from our natural and connection with nature. No, that's be beautifully said. It's it's funny because it's we were born 
it's like we're born with with all this intuitive understanding of, of who we are who our who our soul is and and how to interact with our environment and how to how to heal how to be resilient and then it, it's like we we forget all of that and then we try to develop technology to do the things that we already know how to do yeah, yeah. and and it's 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 crazy but um but no i think these conversations and, and the work that you're doing definitely definitely give me me hope um because you know it's, this is 100 percent what the world needs right now um so it's it's really just figuring out the best the best places to apply it and the best ways to to communicate these principles um not tell people information but teach them principles that can help them, mm -hmm. you know, just live, live better, design better, create better, et cetera. Definitely. Definitely. So thank you. Thank you, Christine. This has been an enlightening conversation. Um, I'm really, we'll, we'll definitely have to have another one at some point. I, there, I think there's a lot of topics that uh, we, we could have gotten into, but uh, I really, really appreciate your perspective on education and, um, and I'm excited to, to collaborate with, uh, with the smart North tech hub and, work on some programming with with the youth in that community thank you thank you so much it's been a great pleasure and thank you anytime